What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Stick around after for our conversation with the host of the new podcast, You Didn't See Nothing, a powerful new limited series that follows host Johannes LaCour as he revisits the 1997 hate crime on the south side of Chicago. Today on CityCast Chicago, it's not just the April 4th runoff happening. We're getting you caught up today on an important criminal justice bill, a trial that could rock Illinois politics, and a shakeup to summertime shy. It's Tuesday, March 14th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Five. Four, three, two, oh, whoops, I was one behind. <laughs> I'm joined today by lead producer Carrie Shepard and producer Simone Alisea. What's up, y'all? How y'all feeling this morning? Good morning. Good morning. Before we jump into some stories, Simone, can you make sure people are familiar with what's going off in our mayoral runoff, some key dates, some upcoming forums? Yeah, I want to just let people know about a couple forums if they do want to hear from the candidates, uh, Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson. There's a public safety forum tonight at five uh, at UIC um, that you can RSVP for. Uh, Brandon Johnson's also going to be at Talia Hall tomorrow evening with Block Club Chicago uh, for a one on one chat. They're also planning to have a conversation with Vallis uh, at a later date that is uh, to be announced. For more dates, uh, things to know about, you know, where to find your polling place, signing up for mail and ballots, all that kind of thing. Uh, check out our newsletter, Hey Chicago, at chicago.citycast.fm. Our newsletter editor, Sydney Madden, has got you covered on anything and everything that you could possibly want to know about voting in this next round. But today we are going to talk about stuff that is not the mayoral election. Lots of other news happening in Chicago. Jacoby, today the Illinois Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments about the Safety Act. So catch us up. What is, remind us, what is the Safety Act? The Illinois Safety Act has been in the news for the better part of two years since Governor Pritzker signed it into law. Uh, and it contains a lot of different criminal justice reforms from body cams for police officers across Illinois to putting more money into the public defense system. But the huge crux of the law that people have been focused on is its uh, how it impacts sort of pretrial uh, procedures, everything from cash bail to who can be held in jail without bail uh, to how long. Uh, and so when cash bail was ended, it essentially said that judges will make the decision on how people are detained before trial. Then, of course, that was challenged by prosecutors, judges across Illinois. And now the Illinois Supreme Court will hear it. Uh, if you sort of break this down into two camps, on one side, you have 
uh, individuals who argue that this law is unconstitutional, uh, that it uh, sort of forces judges into a system that, you know, they did not ask for uh, and that it will make Illinois a less safe place. Uh, then you have individuals on the other side, led by Attorney General Kwame Raul, who says, no, that, that's not what this does. In fact, it uh, does not mean that people won't be held in jail. It simply means that judges will have to make those choices. Uh, two, he says that it sort of takes away from what people have argued is, you know, a, a system of economics, that if you can afford to to not be in jail, you won't be there. Uh, and they argue that so much goes into this beyond uh, simply keeping a person in jail or not, that if you are held in jail pre-trial for too long, you are likely to lose your job. Uh, it impacts your family situation. It impacts your home situation. Um, and so now we will we will hear, you know, where the Supreme Court falls on this, which, uh, you know, it should be noted is a, a majority Democrat hail Supreme Court. But about four of those people are new. So we don't really know uh, how they will or won't side on this case. Exactly. And worth noting that the lower court judge that, you know, essentially ruled in the favor of folks who wanted to pause this uh, was a Republican, uh, is a Republican, I should Mm -hmm. say. Um, As you mentioned, the Safety Act was passed in 2021. But this portion, the cashless bail element was supposed to go into effect in January of this year, but because of the court proceedings um, has been held up. And we don't yet know when the Supreme Court will rule on this. You know, we're hearing oral arguments today, but it may yet be uh, months. Um, before we actually know what the future of this law will be. Um, also happening in court today, Carrie, uh, today's the, the first day of the ComEd 4 trial. Who are the ComEd 4? The ComEd 4, Simone, this is Michael McLean. He was a former ComEd lobbyist, but maybe people are paying a little closer attention to him because he is a longtime confidant of uh, former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan, of course, Michael Madigan, long the most powerful politician in the state. Uh, this is there's also Anne Promajori. She was a former CEO of ComEd. John Hooker was a VP and lobbyist, uh, v- former VP at ComEd. Finally, Jay Doherty, also a lobbyist, but um, journalists and sort of politicos would know him because he used to run City Club Chicago. This is really being hailed as the most watched criminal political corruption trial in more than a decade. And I think we know what that last one was. That was former Governor uh, Rod Blagojevich. This is kind of like the closest, you know, that prosecutors, anti-corruption prosecutors have gotten to Madigan. We should be clear, he is not on trial here. But this is sort of seen as a preview for his trial because he has been indicted on separate uh, charges for uh, next year. Can you just kind of explain, like, what is the central allegation of corruption here? Like, what is it that 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 the Comet for are accused of doing in connection with former House Speaker Michael Madigan? This is really about sort of ComEd, these lobbyists having this insider relationship with some ComEd executives to grease the wheels in Springfield to get to pass legislation that would be beneficial to ComEd, both their bottom line, but also in passing policies like the smart grid, right? Um the smart grid, you know, was seen to be sort of a costly investment for the state, but this is something that ComEd wanted. And 
at longtime Springfield watchers know nothing in Springfield when Madigan was was there. Nothing. No legislation gets through without Madigan having a say on it. Right. People are going to take the stand who benefited from this, who said, look, I got this job or I was getting paid um, X amount. Prosecutors have 70 witnesses that they're that they're planning to call. 70 witnesses, 70 witnesses, people who actually said, like, I was getting paid to do no work. So I was getting a monthly check from ComEd and I wasn't really doing any contract work for them or anything. But really, it's just kind of your classic standard. You know, a lot of this stuff can be really weedy sometimes and can be really in the like nitty gritty. But this is pretty standard old school patronage, which is like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. So we need this passed. We need this legislation, this policy, this ordinance, whatever it may be, in exchange, we're going to give your guy a job here. We're going to give your guy a contract here. We're going to give your guy a permit here. And we should be clear, ComEd has said, has admitted wrongdoing and paid $200 million already. Um, They admitted some wrongdoing. They paid $200 million to drop the bribery. Uh, charges and so they said we did we did a Good little point. of this but honestly when you get into those weeds that's what makes me feel like you know a, maybe some of these individuals but also Mike Madigan might be in a position to walk because like as he's argued throughout this process he was like well you know this is what lobbyists do work on behalf of you know corporations I've been getting people jobs for for the longest I mean isn't that just networking isn't it just who you know and and he'd argue you know I didn't you know, force anyone to vote for any legislation. But I wonder if him and his attorneys are going to be able to paint this as just sort of run of the mill political work right. and, and sort of keep keep things moving. Because I imagine when you really describe some of the things that people are being alleged of, that this is happening a lot more uh, than 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 just with, with Mike and, and his four compadres. Oh, of course. And it wasn't even that long ago that, you know, Alderman or, you know, would say, like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal that why shouldn't I get people people a job? You know, why shouldn't I help them? That's I lead. I'm a leader from the community. They elected me. Why shouldn't I help them type of thing? And, you know, those lines get really blurry really fast. (laughs) And that said, uh, I think the thing, while you while you describe this as sort of being a classic case, I think the other thing to keep in mind, though, is just the scale of what's going on here. Um, ComEd, you know, we all know who ComEd is. They, their bills come into our mailboxes every month, right? Um, and so I just, I never want to lose sight of this isn't just one job. This isn't just, you know, one no, person sure. in one district. Uh, we're talking about a major, major player in something that is, uh, that we all need and experience and and have to use our energy provider exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly um, yeah. so so the outcome of of this trial and then Madigan's trial next year um, I think will that will there will be some messages sent <laughs> uh, one way or the yeah. other change change how the game of Illinois politics is played for sure. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. 
As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patients' smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts, your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Moving away from the courtroom, I, you know, it has been so gray, <laughs> so, so gray. And I have just been dreaming about summertime shy, but... The usual lineup for events is changing up a little bit, especially downtown. Jacoby, why is downtown going to look a little different this summer? Because Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, a few months ago, granted NASCAR the ability to run a race in downtown Chicago uh, the the 4th of July weekend. But with any major event held downtown, that means that Grant Park and sort of the surrounding streets will be shut off for weeks to other events going on in that area. And like you said, with Summertime Shy, Grant Park is packed throughout the summer. We're talking just average Chicagoans playing softball, but also huge events like the Taste of Chicago, which has been running since 1980. Mm. And reporters started looking at the Grant Park schedule for the summer, and they saw NASCAR but they did not see the taste. Initially, it looked like the taste would be held closer to Navy Pier, but just yesterday afternoon, the city announced, no, the taste will be in Grant Park, but this year they're pushing it back to September 8th through the 10th with these smaller neighborhood taste previews earlier in the summer in Marquette Park, Humble Park, and Pullman Park. Uh, and so every summer we have this uh these sort of dueling sides on one side is summertime shot. There are so many things to do and so many neighborhoods, the loop is popping. But then on the other side, we're always arguing, well, at the cost of what? With all of these cool events in our streets, what are we losing? And then the loop that is access to public parks, that's access to the streets. And that is uh, some events that won't be there. I'm going to just sort of, you know, I know a lot of people have been, uh, dumping on the nascar deal because <laughs> i mean when you think of nascar chicago might not be the first place but when i the more and more homies i ask about this people who i have never said anything about nascar before they are in love with this idea oh that's the idea interesting that there yeah. will be racing in downtown chicago and no one in my friend circle is coming out for the taste because to us the taste honestly for some people, it was a little archaic. Maybe it was just old. Oh, that's not what's on their list of things to do. And Too expensive, standing around the heat next to a garbage yeah. can eating food. Last it's year, its yeah. reemergence was sloppy. Yeah. You would just look on social media about long, 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 long lines. ass lines yeah. that people were not filling. And, you know, the, the pandemic forced people to reimagine the taste. And they started the, this sort of taste in different neighborhoods. And I went to a, a, a taste out in... Pullman, I went to one in Austin, and I enjoyed those more That's than I enjoyed cool. going to the taste in Grand Park. And so, again, let's be clear. 
a lot of the concern around the NASCAR deal was about transparency. Alder people, residents, just Chicagoans at large saying, where did this come from? Who asked for it? And who negotiated this deal? Because it doesn't look like we're getting the same type of money or returns that you might see on these other large scale deals. You know, moving forward, I think, you know, the next mayor for sure is going to, to have to face a lot of scrutiny about how we negotiate these recreation deals, these business deals, these, you know, these, these tourist attractions. But on the other hand, I do think there it's sort of creating space for a conversation about like, what do Chicagoans want their summertime to look like? How do they want their parks to be used, their streets to be used? And I don't think we have a, a sort of clear yay or nay when it comes to NASCAR. Um, and I, the question is going to keep coming back up because the deal allows for uh, a few more races, not just the summer of 2023. Carrie, what's what's your take on this? Uh, how are you feeling about the the layout of uh, downtown summer? Yeah, I think Jacoby nailed it in that. Um, I do think the taste has is one of those things you you kind of feel like you have to experience once, um, and then like Jacoby said, the the neighborhood idea that they were doing in recent years is great. It's like such a good idea that you can you know explore your neighborhood more, and everyone doesn't have a have to congregate downtown. Also, I should say Millennium Park, um, which is, you know, that's a, that things have sort of changed for people going to Millennium Park, too. Now it's like kind of gated off. And you have to go through security. But like if you're under 18, you can't go. You can't parts. go. Yeah. yeah. And the in summer Millennium Park, you know, the city would have great summertime every Thursday. There'd be concerts and there would be dance lessons. And like I know for me, those were always amazing and like to go after work like we would gather people and be like okay hey i grabbed a blanket i grabbed a bottle of wine let's go like throw down a blanket at millennium park and, and watch a concert which i i'm hoping those are still those kind of things are still able to happen because the other thing is they're free mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. that's how it should be it's the parks it's our parks we shouldn't mm-hmm. be paying to get into our parks Always love to end on some good news here at CityCast Chicago. Uh, So, Jacoby, what's the good news you've got for the people today? Uh, I wish this was an event they could participate in, but it has passed. But I wanted to give some more love to our good friend, Natalie Moore, who's played the billboard, had a one night only theatrical presentation last night uh, at the Green Line Performing Arts Center. I did get to go be in the building uh, to support the homie and, you know, another fantastic showing from the cast. Uh, hopefully it will come back uh, in some more iterations. I remember talking with Natalie and she was hoping for, uh, you know, uh, more runs of the play over 2023. So hopefully it'll come back and more people get an opportunity to see it. It's a fantastic play. Uh, But if you haven't seen it, you can pick up the book uh, and we'll drop a link where you can find that. So shout out to Natalie Moore and the entire cast of the billboard. Love it. Love it. Always love it when uh, our friends uh, get Get to see some more love, more success. Carrie, what's your good news? Um, I just uh, in the neighborhood seen uh, the bear, which actually, you know, <laughs> it's the it's shell Drake is what the decoy signs are calling. Just I've been seeing the bear. I saw him this morning. Um, I haven't actually seen the the actors, but I've seen them the filming around the neighborhood and stuff. And um, I, you know, we all liked the bear, and we all liked seeing our city. And I love that. I love that um, there's just something kind of proud when you're like, hey, there's there's my 
that's my coffee shop. That's where we get takeout. And that's, um, you know, whatever it is um, to spot those things and to give love to our city. Uh, and I may be putting this out into the universe. We are wor- working on locking in the creator of the bear for an interview with Jacoby. That... Um, will be happening. So I, I'm putting that out there. <laughs> too. So I know the bear's been around for a couple manifesting. <laughs> I know it's been around for a couple weeks, but the um, the trailer dropped and it looks fun and exciting. And and yeah. And if anybody does see any of the actors, you see Carmer Sydney, maybe let us know. Tweet at us. I'd love to love to hear about it. Jacoby, Carrie, thank you guys so much for uh, breaking down the news today. Thanks, Simone. So fun. For sure, for sure. Hi, I'm Carrie Shepard, lead producer of CityCast Chicago. In the many years of being a journalist in this city, I've heard and told all kinds of stories about people who work to make Chicago better, policies that help some but not all, and of course, the ugly stories that make us feel angry, hurt, and ashamed. But I'd never heard the story of Leonard Clark. Until I binged the new podcast, You Didn't See Nothing, from USG Audio and the Invisible Institute. In 1997, Leonard Clark was a 13-year-old black boy who was beaten into a coma by a gang of white teens. Johans LaCour hosts You Didn't See Nothing, and he's here to tell you why you have to listen immediately to this podcast like I did recently. Hi, Johans. Hey, Carrie. How you doing? I'm fine. Thank you for doing this. It's so nice to meet you and to listen to this podcast is just incredible. But let's start with the story of Leonard Clark. We're coming up to the 26th anniversary of this terrible event, March 21st, 1997. Johans, what happened to Leonard Clark on that day? That day, Leonard Clark traveled across an imaginary line in Chicago that separated the the all-black projects and stateway guards he was from, from the all-white, historically racist neighborhood of Bridgeport. His bike tire had a flat. And so he decided to, he was looking for air in the neighborhood of Bridgeport, which was across the expressway by design. Think sundown town. When he got there, he was beaten into a coma by a gang of white young men. And that changed the course of his life. How was the media in Chicago and nationally covering this story? In the immediate hours and days after, they covered it responsibly. But shortly after that, the media coverage became about racial reconciliation, healing and forgiveness. And that was prompted more by the people. So many black so-called activists and leaders started to have a change of heart for reasons that the podcast dives into. And that that journalism then became very sloppy, irresponsible. I didn't discover how poorly it was being covered until I started covering it myself. How did you start your career in investigative journalism around this time? Well, after I heard about what happened, I had wanted to do something about it. I would have been a writer since I was a youngster. My father knew about a uh, small local newspaper that was also based in the projects and said, maybe you should try writing about it. I did that. I met a guy named Ron Carter at the South Street Journal who had an amazing network all throughout the South Side. He was able to put me on the ground with people who knew Lennard and his family personally. And that just opened it all up to me. And that, that, that just changed my life. 25 years later, 
What is the story you didn't see nothing trying to tell about Leonard Clark now? The you didn't see nothing isn't about Leonard Clark, the person right now, as much as it is about the fact that most black folks are Leonard Clark. Most black folks have been abused and injured by, you know, the white supremacist dynamics of this country in a way that has not been told. And so it's really about uh, the fact that there's still a lot of repair that is due. And in addition to repairing what's been damaged, which is, you know, the, the bodies and souls and minds of black folks, it's also about repairing a system so that we can prevent it. I feel like that's a lot of what we're hoping to get across in terms of the story of Leonard Clark, how relevant it still is today. You say the podcast is part investigation, part memoir. While doing You Didn't See Nothing, what did you learn about yourself, Johans? Wow, how much time we got. I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot about uh, my own virtues and, and flaws. Hmm. I, I learned a lot about, uh, you know, how I look at the world. And, and, I, and I learned a lot about why this particular story has stayed with me so much and why my passion for black folks and justice and my, my need to root for the underdog has, has been so strong throughout my life. But it's been, yeah, it's been a hell of a journey that's included a lot of soul searching. The story of Leonard Clark and what was happening in Chicago at the time is such a compelling, amazing story. And Johans, you are really the perfect guide for it. Thank you. Johans LaCour is host of the podcast, You Didn't See Nothing. It's produced by USG Audio and the Invisible Institute, the producers of the 2020 Pulitzer finalist podcast, Somebody. You can binge all seven episodes like I did of You Didn't See Nothing now wherever you get your podcasts. Before I let you go, one more reminder to subscribe to our daily newsletter, Hey Chicago, at chicago.citycast.fm. And if you love the podcast as much as we do, remember to leave a rating and review wherever you listen. I'll be back tomorrow. Talk to you then. Peace. Good. Now I'll get my countdown right. <laughs> That's the important thing here.